Today's episode of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast is sponsored in part by the Bent Paddle Brewing Company. This Minnesota original is a 30-barrel production craft brewery and public taproom located in Duluth, just down the shore from the Boundary Waters. Hi, I'm Laura Mullen, a co-founder of Bent Paddle Brewing Company. Bent Paddle makes quality craft beer using Lake Superior water. Our mission is to brew craft beer with a concentration on sustainability for our business, employees, and the environment. On your way up to the BWCA, come experience Bent Paddle's new taproom in Duluth Emerging Lincoln Park Craft District, where you can grab a stainless steel growler of our award-winning beer to go for your camping trip. Or find Bent Paddle at over 2,000 local restaurants, bars, and liquor stores throughout Minnesota. Allow Bent Paddle to be the bridge that keeps good memories and conversation flowing when you're reflecting on that perfect campsite or the splendidness of the northern lights. For more information, visit bentpaddlebrewing.com or call 218-279-2722. Bent Paddle Brewing Company is proud to support the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to episode 7 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. We are excited to have you all joining us today. Episode 7 is our first three-part episode. We went for the trifecta on this one. And it is a trifecta of glory, I might add. And really, there was just so much good stuff uh, happening that we just wanted to get it all in for you, and we didn't want to have to wait on any of it. Uh, So you're going to hear today, coming up a little later in the episode, you're going to hear from Tim Barton. Joe visited with Tim, who is an Ely-based guide in the Boundary Waters, and they're going to be talking about a topic that I'm sure all of you have discussed at some point, which is the best footwear for portaging. You know, Matthew, I'm still like in the midst of this, even though I'm, I've been going to the Boundary Waters for, you know, years and years, and um, I'm still looking for that perfect boot or shoe for me personally. You know, I mean, people have, I've tried different options, and people always have their favorite, and I, I'm still on the hunt. So I went to Ely to try to find the answer to that to that question, and uh, yeah, it's a, it was fun to visit over there. I went to Paragus and talked with Tim over there. Hopefully there's some nuggets of wisdom for all of us to glean. After that, at the end of this uh, episode seven, we're going to hear from a woman uh, named Beth Gady. She's a pretty amazing woman. She's just like most of you listening, is an avid outdoors person, 
as a fly fisher, uh, Western Wisconsin. She spent a lot of time in Montana, saltwater flats of the Yucatan Peninsula, believe it or not. Um, but she doesn't talk about that. She talks about one of her most memorable epics from the Boundary Waters, including storms, uh, including getting separated from her group and sleeping in a crazy situation. So you're going to hear her story uh, at the end of today's show. But first, we're going to start off with a really inspiring tale. Yeah, this this was one that uh, I've had on my radar for the podcast, Matthew, since I first did an interview with Jason from Ely Outfitting Company. He's the owner of Ely Outfitting, and he contacted us at WTIP just at the radio station for uh, an interview to get on the air to uh, get the word out about an, an essay contest that he was putting together. He wanted to uh, hear from some local or regional, rather, you know, Minnesota uh, youth, people, teenagers, you know, young people who go to the Boundary Waters. He wanted, he put out a challenge and he said, you write an essay, page, page and a half, tell me why you like the Boundary Waters, submit it. And then he had a p- group of panelists, like Amy Freeman was one of the people that judge, you know, read these essays and they picked a winner. People of note. Definitely, yeah. And so there was a, a whole process that went through and this was just, you know, on the regular WTIP, the Star Tribune had an article oh, about yeah. it, NPR. And, Flyers all over the place. Yeah, it was a huge deal. And he got, uh, I think, more than 70 people submitted these essays. One winner, and her name's Julia Ruel. And she's from the Twin Cities area, uh, was a sophomore at the time at Minnetonka High School. And Julia's story was, uh, of course, definitely about the Boundary Waters and how much she loves it and, and why it's important to her. But Julia also was battling brain cancer at the time that she, I mean, literally at the time that she wrote the essay. I think in that regard, the best way to sum up this story without giving too much away is that the Boundary Waters, its essence, its power, its beauty, literally played a significant role in her battling brain cancer, in her recovery from brain cancer, and now in her celebration of that phase of her life being done. Exactly. And so what what this contest was is whoever won got a fully outfitted trip from Ely Outfitting Company. All the gear, all the food. She got to bring three of her friends on the trip. And they were specifically youth, so it was the parent-free <laughs> exactly. Boundary Waters trip. And who doesn't want that? <laughs> yeah, so Julia did this trip, Matthew, in June 2018. I went over to Ely to meet up with the group right after they were coming out of the wilderness. Let's hear what she had to say. Awesome. So we're here today at the Ely Outfitting Company, and I'm with Julia Ruel and her mother, Linda. So Julia, you are just returning from Boundary Waters trip. So we want to talk about your trip, of course, but I also want to talk about um, what led up to your essay and, and how it came to be. I think uh, that that's perhaps even more important today than your trip. So Linda, actually, I let's start with you. Uh, you're Julia's mom, and let's start with how this essay came to be. There was a health scare, a very serious health scare with Julia, and just tell us a, about where that was. In 2017, it's the winter of 2017-18, and where we are now with that. Yes, in Thanksgiving of 2017, Julia started having really bad headaches and nausea and vomiting, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. Lots of trips to the 
urgent care. We even had to go to the ER via ambulance, and um, they, there was just no one knew what was wrong she, until she had an MRI, and um, a mass was found in her brain in the pineal region. Um, so we found out that she had a germinoma, which required um, surgery to, um, Julia, do you remember the name of it? The surgery? Yeah. Um, it was uh, endoscopic third ventriculostomy. Okay. <laughs> I got that one memorized. Yeah. Okay. So, and because basically she was experiencing a mass in her brain, which was preventing the flow of fluids, and she had hydrocephalus, and so they put a hole in the third ventricle of her brain. So brain surgery was the first step, which was quite terrifying as a parent. <laughs> um, and then after that, we um, received the diagnosis because they also did a... Um, a biopsy, and we received the diagnosis of a germinoma. Um, so that started us on a, a whole new, um, unexpected trip into the world of cancer. And so, Julia, um, what has this done? Uh, we're, we're, you know, of course, talking about your health now, and, and this uh, where we are today here in June 2018. And you're smiling, and you're you're uh, healthy and happy, and, and you've just completed a Boundary Waters trip. So as you're going through the various stages of treatment to deal with this issue that your mother just described, how did this essay contest, this, so Jason, who is the owner of Ely Outfitting Company, had contacted us at WTIP and some other media organizations in early 2018 and said, I'm going to put out a challenge of an essay contest, and whoever wins this, a teenager or a young person who likes the Boundary Waters, we're going to outfit their trip. So how did you find out about this essay contest, Julia? So I saw it in the newspaper one morning, and apparently my dad had, like, set it out so I would see it, but, like, not actually tell me about it because he wanted it to be, like, genuinely my interest. And then it was actually, like, the essay contest was due, like, the next Monday. So I wrote it all in, like, two nights. But it was just, like, really exciting to channel my energy into something that wasn't, like, cancer. Like, it was something that I was interested in aside from the past few months being so crazy and then like once I won it I had this new thing to be excited about like to look forward to and kind of like not use yeah I guess kind of use as like a goal to get better and be able to go on this trip with all my friends and do all the things I would have done if I hadn't gotten cancer. Yeah and so uh, you when you were writing the actual essay you were sort of in the midst of the treatment and you were you know dealing with some serious stuff at that time yeah I think it was right after chemo treatment or a couple weeks was it Mom? Yeah, it was in the midst of the chemo treatment yeah, mm -hmm. okay and were you in school at just like have you been able to continue you know your education in school and so forth yeah, so I would like miss about a week of school for each chemo which I had four how many day cycles 21 day cycles of mm -hmm. chemo which only three of those days I actually was receiving chemo so like one week every month I was not in school but aside from that I was keeping up with all my schoolwork and it was kind of I don't know for me it was a welcome distraction and like a good place to channel my energy I guess yeah, and so you're you just completed your sophomore year of high school at um, uh, high school in Minnetonka, mm -hmm. 
Okay. And so you'll be headed into your junior year and you, you wrote this essay and can you just give us an overview? I've had the opportunity to read it, but, uh, could you share with us a little bit about the essay, what you wanted to put into it and, and, uh, why that message was important for you? Um, so my like kind of main theme was just that I love being outside and like just that being outside is so essential to me and to who I am. And like, since I was writing it kind of as I had my diagnosis and I was like in full fledged treatment mode, I mentioned a lot that like part of my coping with it was that I would go outside and like go for walks every day, even if it was just like five minutes. So like I wove the just simple being outside into it a lot. And then the Boundary Waters is kind of the ultimate outdoor adventure. So, yeah. Nice. So you said that, um, you know, did you mention that what you were going through at the time with yeah. with chemo and so forth? Yeah, I, just, I think pretty much in the beginning of the essay, I mentioned like, so this year has been kind of crazy for me. Like first I like mentioned how like all the athletic things that I do that are all outside, like running and skiing. And then I mentioned, well, this year I haven't really been able to ski or run that much because of cancer and affecting all of my life. And I wanted to just add to that, just part of the whole treatment was, part of it was radiation and she had to lay perfectly still for this radiation treatment. And she would think of herself being in the boundary waters and I mean, you can probably under, explain that better than so that. it was like a place to go in your mind you could yeah. you, that was your your safe place was to go to the boundary waters in your mind when you had to lay still mm-hmm. i kind of like channeled the peace and serenity that's in the boundary waters and helped use that to help me stay still and distract myself a little bit yeah that's amazing so the the boundary waters isn't uh, unfamiliar territory to you and in the family is, is that right yeah, I think we started going when I was about 10, I think, or maybe I was younger. Well, Dad went well, way before that, but you yeah. started going when you you were younger than that. But. Okay, so I was probably like eight or nine mm-hmm. um, with my family, and then we've kind of been going yearly since then, and then this was my first time going not with my family at all. Yeah, yeah, nice. So that's, uh, okay, so now you've submitted the essay, and your is, treatment's maybe starting to wind down, and... Um, then how do you find out what, what's that day like, or who told you about that you had been chosen? Um, so we were actually, I just finished all my chemo treatment, but we were just starting my radiation treatment, which was, um, in Rochester, which is like two hours away from my house. So we were in Rochester, like getting kind of like the orientation day for my radiation. And we were in the elevator about to go get dinner. It was actually during a snowstorm, so we are going to, like, walk across the street. So I was in the elevator, and I got a call, and it said it was from Ely, and I got super excited. I answered the call, and, um, yeah, and then Jason told me that I won. Yeah, and it was actually Jason who was on the phone and yeah. said, I, you've been selected, and mm-hmm. nice. And what what was your reaction? I mean, how did you handle that? I mean, we were all, like, sitting in the lobby, like, kind of, like, I don't know. We were trying to like stay calm, but we all were just smiling super big and like trying. <laughs> we were super super excited. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And you were there too when this happened, yeah, Linda. Was, um, my husband and I and Julia were there. We were in the elevator of the hotel, and it was just. It, we kind of thought, oh, it's, some days have gone by. Maybe you know some, she must not have 
one and then she just screamed in the elevator it's Ely (laughs) so it was really exciting and perfect timing being that we just started and we were at Mayo I mean how perfect yeah nice okay so that brings us to today and now here we are at the conclusion of this trip and so let's get into some of the details. Um, you brought three friends with you. If you were chosen for the essay contest winner, you could bring some friends with you, fully outfitted, canoes, gear, food, the whole package. And who'd you bring up with you? Who are your friends that are uh, outside unpacking while we're up here relaxing, <laughs> drinking root beer? <laughs> so uh, tell us uh, who came with you on this trip. Um, so they're all friends I've had for a while. Um, it was Anna, Madeline, and Juliana. And I mean, they all, I mean, two of them are friends from kind of cross country running and then another one swims. So we're all kind of endurance people. Um, and we're all really funny. We had a lot of giggles on this trip. <laughs> but I'm glad we, most of our campsites were kind of set away. So yeah. I'm glad because otherwise I think our neighbors would have been a little upset. <laughs> yeah. Away from those cranky fishermen who are up at dawn and so forth. Yeah, nice. And so had they uh, done any trips with their families or friends in the past? Or were there any first timers coming up with you? Um, so they had each been there once. Um, Madeline and I had actually gone on like a father-daughter trip a couple years ago. And then the other two had been here once, so I'm not sure when, but okay. yeah. And um, with every trip, they're just kind of naturally, or sometimes people even designate uh, a leader of the trip. Who, was that you for this group, or how did that uh, kind of fall into place? Um, I was, I mean, kind of the leader. I'm not very good at navigating, which was a problem. <laughs> so that was kind of other people's responsibility. Yeah. Um, but we kind of divvied up all the roles pretty well. It was different for me because, like, I usually would go up with my dad and he would just do everything pretty much. Is like, if there was something to do, I would do it instead of just like relaxing. Mm-hmm. But it was really satisfying to be like responsible and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, mom, what's your reaction to that? That, you know, you've been through this uh, process with Julia's health and, and just even within the last six months and now. Here we are, and she's just completed this amazing journey and, you know, sort of emerged even as the leader of this trip amongst her own friends. Um, as you can sit back now, and, and I know it's just, you know, the trip only ended an hour ago, but uh, yeah. what's what's your thoughts and feelings to, to that? Oh, I'm just so, well, I'm relieved. I've been, you know, <laughs> thinking about her a lot, thinking, and there was a big snow or rainstorm last night and thunder, and I thought, oh, dear. But, you know, they came off. They were all four of them, you know, strong women, young women, and they were all smiling. They got along, and, I, you know, the, the drive back from the entry point was just lots of stories and giggles and smiles, and it was, it's just super gratifying, and, um, you know, it gave her some such a goal when she was going through some tough times and so this just could not have written itself any better I, you know it's been really just like a, a dream yeah and and is your health now i mean are you back to is it safe to say you're you're at 100 percent physically and and just you know your strength is there to where you're at now compared to just not long ago yeah for sure i'm pretty much back to normal. <laughs> I'm not like on any medications really. And I'm, I mean, aside from needing to build up some strength since I haven't been able to run for a while, it's 
pretty much back to normal. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And so um, let's hear maybe just another story from this most recent trip, just uh, either something that happened, you know, to the group while you were out there or just uh, an observation you made on this most recent trip, just, you know, an anecdote from, from when you were out there. Um, so right in the very beginning, <laughs> we were paddling and, you know, you're feeling good because we were starting and everything was going well. And then we came up kind of next to some men who were also paddling and they had like the straight shaft paddles and we had the bent shaft paddles Mm -hmm. and (laughs) they thought that we were going kind of slow I guess so he decided to tell he um, wanted to help I guess Uh and told us that we had our bent shaft paddles the wrong way and said we had to scoop them like they were shovels and we just looked and we're like no we we've got it <laughs> this is right we know it is and then the other guy in the canoe was like yeah they're right but <laughs> it was just <laughs> a fun moment yeah nice so the uh the supposed know-it-all maybe guy comes up and, and tries to tell you what's up and the reality was you were doing it right you're just not in a rush like maybe he thought you should have been or something yeah, <laughs> yeah nice that's cool and um mom did you have any observations of of anybody you know, maybe as they were starting the trip while you were at the launch or as they were coming back today? Well, at the start of it, it was kind of funny because the girls, Jason did a wonderful job of uh, orientation and telling them everything what to do and how to handle the canoes and fill them when they're in the water. And the girls really did that. They went right in the water. They put the packs in the canoes in the water and they just took off. And there were a lot of guys, a lot of boys waiting to go. And they just went in. Anyway, as the girls were paddling off, I heard one of the leaders of that group say, guys, watch the girls. That's how you do it. You put the packs in the canoes while they're in the water. Otherwise, you're going to wreck those Kevlar canoes. So I was kind of like, yeah, you go, girls. Nice job. (laughs) Yeah, nice. No, that's cool. It was nice. And so, um, Julia, what is this place now? Either, you know, as you've done these family trips or... Um, with the essay and, and this place where you were able to go in your mind as you were dealing with your health issues this uh, last winter, uh, what's the Boundary Waters mean to you? Like, why why do you care about this place and, and why is it so special to you? Part of it is definitely the way that it's an escape. Like, there's really nowhere else that I can go where it's just completely removed from the rest of my life. Like, Usually in my life, I always have my phone on me and I'm always connected to a hundred things and kind of stretched kind of thin. But in the Boundary Waters, like all you're thinking about is getting to a campsite and setting up and making the fire, which are all just like more simple, like survival kind of things, which I really like. And it's also just so serene there. Like it's just the water lapping against the shore and the trees are all... I don't know. This <laughs> At one of our campsites, there were a bunch of pine trees, and like we had fun watching them like bend super far as it blew, as the wind was blowing, and it was just, I don't know. There's so much to observe here, and you you can take the time to make all those observations. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And so, do you do um, some journaling or reading, or uh, what's uh, what's a kind of a typical day, you know, at camp for you, or even on this trip? So we all brought hammocks, so we did a lot of sitting in those, um, a lot of reading. We all did some journaling, too. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of contemplative. We were quieter than I expected a lot of the time. Also, very chatty a lot of the time, but yeah. 
Yeah, cool. And and so you're um, even starting now to get involved with uh, groups like the Save the Boundary Waters campaign, and you're headed out to Washington, D.C. here in this this summer to do some awareness about uh, why the Boundary Waters is important. And why has that uh, become something that you wanted to get involved with, just, you know, either promoting or even, you know, advocating for the wilderness? Well, I found out about the mines and the threat that they pose to the Boundary Waters in eighth grade, so that was like two or three years ago. And it's always been on my mind and like I've always wanted to do something about it. But as a high schooler, you know, things like that sometimes get pushed to the side. Um, And then with the essay contest, if you keep kids interested in the Boundary Waters, you're like ensuring that it will always be protected and always be loved. And like, it just makes sense to me that we should have it in the hands of like the next generation instead of the generation that's might be more tired of it or like I don't know mm-hmm. yeah no that's great great to hear and what uh, I know you're just uh, headed into your junior year of high school but any thoughts on you know uh, making a career out of uh, either you know in a wilderness advocacy role or, or just is it you seem so passionate about this place that is it something that you'd want to come up and, and maybe even work at an outfitter camp for a summer or, or what do you think about something like that I haven't, (laughs) I have trouble thinking about the future and careers and stuff because I kind of like a little bit of everything, but I would definitely enjoy that. Um, One thing I know that I'm interested in, I think, is like environmental science and with the stress on like um, conservation and sustainability. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of related. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, you know, this has been a, a Real pleasure for me to not only come here today, but I've been, uh, you know, talking with Jason since the beginning of this, as I mentioned, and um, now to come here and, and spend time with you and, and uh, your mother, of course, uh, at and kind of see this trip and the reality of it, that it's not just, a, you know, just an idea anymore, kind of a tangible thing, like to actually be here is, a, it's, it's great for me, and I hope uh, the people on the podcast here are you know, enjoying this uh, story as well. And and uh, just anything else that you want to say either about, you know, this process, this uh, what you've been through in the last year or about this trip or, or just about the Boundary Waters? Well, I just remembered another funny story. Yeah, perfect. That's what we love <laughs> on the podcast. It's all about stories. So. Um, so we, one of our, let's see, on the Rifle Lake, um, lake and campsite, we decided we wanted to do a day trip to one of the lakes next to it. I don't really know why, because it was a really long portage. And once we got to the lake, we just sat there. But <laughs> we decided to do it. Yeah. And the portage was pretty rough. And it was the longest one we did on the whole trip. And there were a bunch of mosquitoes because it had rained the day before. So we had we just had two canoes in a pack. So it worked out that we had one person that could like run between the canoes and the pack. So they that person was armed with bug spray and we'd be walking with our canoes on our back and we'd yeah, we need bug spray. And they'd come and they spray it in the canoe. (laughs) So you used a lot of teamwork to get over those things. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm sure um, the stories that you guys had are are they'll just be popping up on the whole ride home back to the cities today. And uh, it sounds like sounds like it was a great trip for you and your friends. And and actually just lastly my own observation was I noticed that your one friend had a some duct tape on her shoes. Uh, <laughs> can we, anything, can can I ask about that? What happened there? So they're actually her mom's shoes that she had given her from like, I think they've had them for a long time, but they're good hiking boots. Yeah. So she thought like, oh, I'll try them out. Like 
the, they should be good for this trip. And then on our very first portage, <laughs> she looked down and I think like the entire soles had come off. They were like attached at the heel, but nowhere else. Uh-huh. So she, and like both of her boots did it at the same time too. I don't know how that happened. So I think first we just tried duct tape and it held a little bit. And then my dad had like, had given me this survival kit with this special tape that we used and that actually held up pretty well <laughs> but she her boots are just falling apart <laughs> it was funny yeah no that's great um and and again uh, just for the people listening to this uh, when i first saw the group of four they all grinning ear to ear and so uh, it sounded like you had a great trip out there and thank you so much for talking with us today and thank you very much for for listening and it's been great thank you well there you have it the tale of an amazing boundary waters inspired adventure once again i feel so grateful that julia was willing to share this with us Uh, i i hope that that inspires many more people you know sometimes when you're in the presence of someone matthew regardless of their age or anything about them any characteristic you can just tell that they are great people and that they're mm-hmm. fearless and that they just they're they're celebrating life just by living yeah know? yes uh-huh <laughs> right and uh julia is, is one of those people man it was it was a great experience to hear about that trip literally just right after it, it ended you know you know i think we have to give some props to linda because kids don't just end up that way and i'm sure that that's been some work done yeah, to lead her up to that spot by Linda and her and and her husband. Yeah, exactly. So uh, thankful to them. Great trip. Thankful to Ely Outfitting, uh, who hosted me for the day over there, and, and of course outfitted the entire trip uh, for Julia and her friends. You know, I don't. I want people to make sure they know that there's an awesome uh, sort of video that Julia and her friends made post trip that just shows some real fun highlights and it captures a lot of things she talked about. And you can find that on the WTIP uh, homepage. Uh, and you can just search for that on there. And I think we're going to have some other pictures up too, possibly. Yep, absolutely. But now we really need to answer all the questions that we've all asked about ported shoes. It's such an important part of a trip, Matthew. Essential. It, it is. And and I've seen all ends of the spectrum. You know, Dave and Amy Freeman, of course, right? Who are very well-known Boundary Waters people. They did a year in the wilderness, and they've been in, involved with the Boundary Waters for a long, long time. I went and paddled out and met Dave and Amy when they did their year in the wilderness, met them on Rush Lake up uh, mid-trail area. Dave comes pulling up, and I'm thinking he's going to be, you know, the most hardcore shoe boot you could ever find. He's out there for a year in the wilderness. And he had these old tiny sneakers on. You yep. know? Like, <laughs> he just hopped in. He was getting in the water with them. I'm just like, huh, yeah, cool, like a pair of Reeboks. Uh, so it's different things for different people. It really is, but... There's a lot of, you know, traction on a portage. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. There really yeah. is. So let's hear what Tim Barton, professional guide in the Boundary Waters, has to say on the topic. So we're here in Paragus Northwoods Company Store here in Ely, downtown Ely. I'm here with Tim Barton. He's a guide for Paragus. Hey, Tim, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. My pleasure. So uh, we're talking about footwear that uh, you might want to use while you're doing a trip in the Boundary Waters. And for putting this in a frame of reference for people uh we're, we're gonna go with this hypothetical that uh I, i'm just walking in off the streets from 
from Memphis or, uh, you know, I just drove in from Tennessee and you guys are going to outfit my trip for me. And I'm coming in to you, Tim, and I go, what do I need for footwear? Um, where do you start with somebody who's got a pair of Nikes or sure. even like some leather shoes? And, and what, do you, what do you help them with? What do you say? Well, the biggest thing for people to be aware of is let them know what they're getting into. They need to know that this is rocks and roots and they have a way of jumping up at you. So you need to be ready for it. But you're also going to be getting your feet wet. you got to step in and out, especially if you're using these Kevlar boats. If you run them up against rocks, you end up with cracks or holes. And that's the last thing you need when you're 20 miles out. Yeah. yeah. And so the biggest thing that I always try to remind people about is have a hard toe. And something that drains in the summer and something that keeps you dry in the spring and fall. We're in here in the shop right now in Paragus Northwoods, and uh, we were over at the shoe uh, where there's a, a number of options, I mean, to choose from. And, and a few of them stood out to us, and we got them here in front of us. Uh, can you, Tim, just give us a brief overview, uh, either seasonally or just maybe even a, a starting point for a boot or a footwear for, for a trip? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess for me, I've, it's always about seasons. So spring and fall when that water's cold, you know, just after the ice comes out or just after the ice is about to come in, you don't want that wet foot all day. So it's really important that you got something that'll keep you dry and warm and something that you can put back on the next day and not be freezing. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to use is a Chota, Chota Trekker. Yeah, nice. And, and you got this here in front of you. It's a yep. tan boot that has leather on the outside. Yep. And it's waterproof but drains on the sides. Mm -hmm. And it combines with a waterproof breathable sock. Okay. Wow. So, so yeah, the sock is, that is like yeah, okay, nice. a gator that attaches to the boot. And it goes all the way up to your knee. I've used this all spring, and I've yet to get my feet wet doing it. Yeah. Okay, so this sock that we're looking at here, it looks, you know, it's got like a, a soft, it looks like maybe a liner of a winter boot or something. Yep. Yep. And uh, you would put that on, you put your foot in there, and then you put that inside it of this boot? right into the boot. Yep, absolutely. And so what you're getting is the comfort and, you know, ease of a hiking boot in the boundary waters because you need to be able to grip on those rocks and be able to feel confident stepping on wet and slimy rocks, which this boot allows you to do. But then it also gives you a knee-high waterproof. And if you step it up to a hippie, you can go all the way up to your hip with it. Yeah, nice. Okay, so this uh, this boot now, this Chota, this company that we're talking about here, uh, they're manufactured in Tennessee, but this is like a Paragus, I mean, it's a canoe country yeah. boot, right? And you have them for sale here in the shop. And, yeah. and they're designed with the idea that these aren't, you know, going to be, they could be used maybe for hiking and glacier or something, Absolutely. but but it's also like it's specific for paddling. These so. are specifically built for what we're doing here in the Boundary Waters. They're to get in and out of the water. It's for grabbing and gripping these hard, tough rocks that we have to walk across these portages all the time on. So, you know, we've been involved in setting it up and we sell them here at the store. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you mentioned, uh, you know, that's maybe like a, that's a hardcore option. It's going to get you, and that's going to get work well on a portage trail too, not yep. just getting in and out of the canoe. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can feel just as confident with this in a canoe as you would be walking across or up big hills and down big hills. Like I said, those rocks and roots, they, they tend to find you out there. And if you don't have something that can grip or keep you safe out there, you're you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. So that, and when you say that, you know, what comes to my mind is maybe like the standard uh, black rubber boot that sure. you can buy at a hardware shop for yeah. 20 bucks or something that that's setting you up for hard times. Yeah. Maybe? I mean, you got no ankle support there. The grips on them are not great. You're going to end up slipping off, especially when you get on some of those slimy boots or even just a wet rock face, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to slip right out underneath you. And I've seen that happen with people. And what's nice about this, especially with that breathable sock is if you do step over, like, let's say you go above your knee just to touch, it's not just going to drain right in like you would with a, you know, just a water boot or something like that. Yeah. 
that does give you that gator. It tightens it up. It does have a way of keeping it dry. Mm -hmm. So yeah, cool. Okay. And so now, uh, what about uh, you know? Here we are in in June is when I'm here sure. over in Ely at the shop right now. But uh, what about summertime? What you can switch it up a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So in the summertime, we actually carry another version of the Chota boot here. It's called the hybrid. It's ultra light, so that's the big upside compared to the Trekker. Is it's the the difference in weight is, you know, really a big difference there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so what's nice about being able to use this thing is it's got big drain drain holes on the side, so it, it empties out right there. You can still use it with that breathable socks for cold mornings, but it also works and gives you ankle support for the summer. Okay, and, and so with this one, this summertime version, where, where you know I'm looking at, it's definitely a lighter weight. Uh, it's got the mesh, the opening for drainage. Are, are you still wanting with not utilizing the the knee or the hip uh, sock would you wear just like a regular you know white sock or a wool sock personally for me i would wear a thin lightweight wool sock um Mm -hmm. and that's just because i've had enough of those rubs or you know burns on the side of your feet that don't go away and especially if you get them on that first day of a trip it's just a lightweight wool sock will really help to mitigate that yeah okay cool and so um you're still then getting in and out of the water though so you're um being that you're a guide, Tim, uh, do you do a lot of socks on on a trip? I mean, you're bringing like 15 I, pair for well, a seven day trip or no, something. No, no, I, I usually have a pair a day um, or less. And what's nice about the like a quick dry, like a darn tough or a smart wool sock that's thin, you can set it in the sun or in the wind for you know half a day or or, or less, and it dries out pretty quick. Yeah. So you can yeah. utilize that. It, you sort of designate a, a thing that yeah. oh, I can get it wet yeah, again. Those are your water socks. Yeah. Those are your water socks for the day, exactly. And uh, you know, as long as they're they're durable, you're in good shape. Yeah, cool. So being that you're a guide and uh, people probably ask you a lot of questions either before a trip sure. or during it, both. Is footwear a, a key thing? Is it an important part to a trip? Footwear can make or break a trip up here. I mean, especially spring or fall, if you're trying to keep your feet dry, um, you're either jumping around on rocks, hopping and skipping and that kind of stuff, which sets you up for danger. You know, you're going to slip and fall trying to stay out of mud puddles and stuff like that. Or you're just going to have a slip or something like that too. And if you're wearing just a heavy, let's say you're wearing a heavy muck boot or something like that, knee high in the middle of July, the last thing you want is have sweaty feet all day. So having something that breathes is really important. Having something that drains in the summer, especially. Yeah, cool. And uh, being that, you know, it's canoe country, if you're dealing with Kevlar, especially as you mentioned, you're you should be getting wet yeah. feet on wet a trip. Boot, wet boot policy is the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so do you bring uh, a backup pair for just kicking around camp, sure. you know? Yep. And absolutely. That's what I'd suggest you use with your old tennis shoes. Keep that, smash them up and put them in the pack. That's what you wear at camp. Yeah. You know, people will bring a pair of Crocs out to wear at camp. Those can be really comfortable. Something light, something easy to take on and off, but that you keep dry. Yeah. Um, in fall and early spring, I'll carry more of a hiking boot, you know, a Merrill hiking boot or something like that, just for the warmth and that kind of thing. But during the summer, I carry just a really lightweight running shoe for um, for at camp, but I always switch to my water shoes during the day. So two pairs of shoes is a must on, on a canoe trip like this. Yeah, cool. So kind of the, the overview of the whole thing then would be uh, when you come in, you would kind of start with Chota. You yeah. would, if you were looking to buy something or, sure. or pick up a new shoe just for your trips, Start with Chota and either get the seasonal options yep. or, or go, you know, get a couple pair if, if that works for you too. Oh, yeah. And then uh, maybe look into getting one of those socks and, and they're sold separately, like it's a yep. separate item. Yeah, so the system all works together, but you can just use the boots on their own. You can use the socks um, with the system in there. And um, when they all come together, it's it's really a fantastic system. Okay. And then the other thing to keep in mind is bring 
plenty of socks, yep. uh, some shorter socks, and uh, even a backup pair of shoes. Uh, lightweight wool socks and a camp pair of camp shoes go a long way because the last thing you want to do is get after a day on the water is to have to put on your your cold wet shoes again so yeah cool and uh so this is a podcast all about the boundary waters and, and we uh love to share stories here uh you got any any just tragic tales of of you know this guy brought the or this person brought the the wrong shoe and uh-huh. and they regretted it and it absolutely happens and i mean i've had uh i carried plenty of moleskin and stuff like that um, i try to get ahead of that as much as possible mm-hmm. you know i have these same conversations we're having right now with every client that i go out with so i want to make sure that they're getting up there and setting themselves up to have a good time and so we want to make sure they're going out there with the right equipment and so that they can have a good time because there's like i said there's absolutely nothing worse than a big rub on the back of your heel from a pair of brand new shoes with without thinking it through so yeah you, you've never uh been the victim of or, or seen witness to a, a blister the size of a baseball or something <laughs> maybe not a baseball but i've been bl- victim to plenty on my own so it's yeah. nice to i've learned that through plenty of trials and errors so yeah, yeah, yeah. cool that's that's nice you're bringing your own knowledge yeah. of it to the Absolutely. to the table yeah. too hey well cool it's uh, great uh, information to share for anybody that's uh, either thinking of upgrading their own footwear looking to you know you're new to canoeing paddling in the boundary waters and uh, it sounds like uh, Chota Footwear is a place to start and you can find that here at Paragus Northwoods Uh, we've been talking with Tim Barton hey Tim thanks for your information man it was a pleasure man thank you well there you have it all the answers you needed for your portage questions if you have additional thoughts or additional opinions let us know. You can email us at bwcapodcast at gmail.com. Well, so wait, before we get off shoes here, man, uh, Matthew, what do you wear? What's your what's your standard go-to footwear for a trip? Well, just like Tim said, I've got a bog boot, rubber boot with the neoprene upper section uh, that I use in the spring and fall when the water's cold. But actually, I use rock climbing approach shoes for the summer. They're, they drain. They've got excellent traction, obviously, because they're for, you know, rock climbing. And actually, I'm wearing them right now, and I portaged with them this morning. And the one downfall is they're still wet on my feet. Mm. I got my bare feet, and I'm sitting here in the studio. Yeah. So, you know, I can see there being some benefit to something else. Yeah, yeah. Nice. What about you, Joe? I, I've been all over. I've done my uh, backpacking boots, and I got when I lived in Oregon, you know, eight years ago or something uh, that I've just still wear and I've worn those on Portage trails and I kind of tiptoed around at the, getting in and out of the canoe when I'm riding Kevlar and that became somewhat problematic for me after mm-hmm. or I evolved, you know, I was like, this, why am I doing this? So then I got the cheap pair of black rubber boots and those are great. I'm hopping in and out, but I've had a, a near spill on a, on a Portage trail cause there's not much grip you know the 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 traction isn't a a plus on those yeah it's not a slippery rock uh i didn't go all the way down but i i probably should have and i don't even know how i got out of that situation so i'm like i said i'm still searching i'm still open to ideas and uh tim tim was the man he had some good suggestions and uh point people in the right direction so moving into beth gady i want to say that this tale is a pretty sweet story although it's not the Oh, picturesque, beautiful loon calls and sunsets and, you know, positive encounters with nature. Uh, This is one of those stories that, a battle, you could say. 
Uh, but what's cool is that uh, Beth is telling one of her earliest Boundary Water stories. And uh, since then, she didn't stop coming, thankfully. Uh, she's actually heading to Quetico on her 26th canoeing adventure this summer. She may even be in as we speak. Uh, so let's hear her tale. Chance of rain, 10%. The plan. Six friends will spend five days canoeing a dozen gorgeous, pristine lakes in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. The fire danger rating, very high. Campfires are permitted only after 7 p.m. when the wind usually dies down. The weather forecast, 10% chance of rain every day. Perfect. Day one. The winds are gentle, the water smooth, the paddling easy. The day starts out gray and the clouds steadily darken. Eyeing the sky, we quit paddling early and settle for a campsite that is too small for three tents. We aren't able to stake them out properly and the rain flies sag. That night, it rains hard. Sagging rain flies leak. Day two. The rain continues. We paddle with determination, our heads down. Occasionally we peek from under our rain jacket hoods to check our heading. Rain blows into my hood and my shirt collar grows damp, then soggy. Water wicks up my sleeves and down my back. My jacket is almost as wet inside as out. Day three, our layover day. Gradually the clouds break. With sunshine and a breeze, we dawdle over meals, read, nap, swim, tell stories, laugh, break out a flask of scotch. By nightfall, the wood is still too wet for a campfire, but our clothes and gear are dry. Then, as we sink into sleep, a storm rolls through. The lightning brilliant, the rain pounding our tents so loud we can't hear the thunder. Day four. Over breakfast, we agree 10% is meaningless. We'll go all the way out a day early. Better than setting up camp, possibly, no, likely, in the rain. As we finish breaking camp, a thick fog rolls over the rugged cliffs across the lake, only a few hundred yards away. Soon the cliffs disappear. We think we're smart to leave. We'll have to paddle hard to reach the takeout in one day, but we're optimistic. The wind, not too strong, is behind us. We cover five miles and stop for an early lunch, then haul our canoes and gear across another portage. The next lake comes into view through the trees and our optimism plummets. Whitecaps. Whitecaps mean danger, sometimes panic, usually stop. And that's when we do a dumb thing. We keep going. Our paddle strokes short and fast, we slowly beat our way across a rowdy bay, 
to a steep, bouldered shore. Now we need to turn into the wind to get around a long peninsula, and we know we can't do it. We climb out of our canoes, unwind our tow ropes, and begin to crab through waist-deep water, stumbling over rocks hidden by tannin-stained deeps, our canoes swooping in the waves. We reach the tip of the peninsula and inspect the next bay. It's small and protected, but beyond lie three more portages and three more lakes, the last lake wide and open. To reach the takeout, we'd have to paddle crosswise to the wind, more we now know than we can manage. Plan B, or is it C? Paddle down the near shore to a campsite. It's not far, we can see it. The wind will be with us. Bob, my paddling partner, and I head out first, but the wind keeps pushing us farther from the shore. We stroke harder, shouting pointless instructions at one another. Soon we realize we're outclassed and point the canoe toward a campsite across the bay. We land safely, but we're alone. We turn and scan the bay, then the far shore, hoping our friends will appear and signal their plan. No one. We buckle our bright orange life vests around a tree in front of the campsite. Here we are. Where are you? We start to shiver and take inventory of the packs in our canoe. We have a tent, two sleeping bags and mats, a water filter, leftovers from lunch, and our day's snack rations. Fingers trembling, cold shuddering through our bodies, we stake out the tent in a small meadow. Tall grasses cushion the ground. The rainfly is taut. At three in the afternoon, we crawl into the tent, hoping we'll somehow get dry and warm. The wind rattles our tent until long after midnight, and I sleep fitfully, alert for the snap and crash of falling trees. Day five, the brightening sky wakes us. Bob dresses and crawls out of the tent. Creaking from our fierce paddling and 14 hours lying on the ground, he unfolds and stretches. Something on the water catches his eye and he hollers, here they come. Two of our friends paddle toward us with dry clothes. Breakfast will be served at the campsite across the bay. Bob and I quickly change clothes, pack gear, and slide the canoe into now glassy water. Over tepid oatmeal and reasonably hot coffee, we learned that after watching us fight our way across the bay, our friends had pulled their canoes out of the water and into the woods. When the wind didn't die down after several hours, they lashed the boats to trees and bushwhacked to the campsite Bob and I had tried to reach, the one where we're now dining. Three hours later, we reach the takeout and load our cars. We stop at a cafe for second breakfast, and our server reviews the storm's numbers. Wind gusts of 70 miles an hour, 15-foot waves on Lake Superior, 
At least three parties swamped trying to cross the lake where we had camped the night before. As we drive down the hill into Grand Marais, emails start popping up on my phone. I open a Forest Service report I'd signed up for before the trip. The fire danger rating, very high five days ago, is now very low. You may build a campfire anytime you like. That was Beth Gady, who is currently a book editor and lives in Hudson, Wisconsin. Beth, thank you for sharing your story with the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first the first trifecta, the first three-part episode here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. So thankful to everyone, Matthew, for uh, who participated, Julia Ruel and her, her mom, Linda. Her mom, Linda, and all of Julia's friends who were there, too, that I got to meet, and they were so fun to hang out with for a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure they were very <laughs> giddy after they that were, trip. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Tim uh, from Paragus and talking about footwear, uh, just such, you know, such an important part of, of everyday trips and traveling the Boundary Waters. And, of course, Beth, too, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, just an all-around solid episode full of diverse content. Let's not forget beer. Ben Paddle Brewing. They make it possible they do the, the sponsors uh today for episode seven ben paddle brewing and, and everyone who supported the podcast since uh we started this thing it's been essential to get off the ground mm-hmm. in this first year and we continue to hear from people all over the country and we we love hearing the story ideas and and please keep them coming uh, bwca podcast at gmail.com send matthew and i an email uh, we'd love to hear your story. That's what this podcast is, Matthew. Stories. We want to hear what happens to people when they're in the boundary waters. What happened in the past? What trips are they planning in the future? We want to hear it all. Yeah, spread the love. We've got to keep each other moving. Hey, episode seven in the books. Booked. <laughs> To sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Rule me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around